Hey, Ding Dongs. Welcome back to The Good Play, a podcast normally about NBC's The Good Place. My name is Brianna, and with me on the line, she's saving the city while her toddler starts a fight with a raccoon. It's my sister, Marissa. That is extremely accurate. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I think, you know, we're going to get into our, our topic of the day in a minute here, but I do want to say that I just, uh, I consider it to be my younger nephew's biopic basically uh yes. which it, is <laughs> we are talking about incredibles 2 which just broke box office records heretofore not even begun to be breached right it, oh really it, oh yeah it made more in its opening weekend than any other animated movie in history which is pretty nuts wow i mean i guess releasing a movie about the importance of family on father's day weekend was probably a good call yeah there's that i also think that a lot of the people who were the right age to see the first one are now of the age where they can kind of take themselves to the movies. Maybe they weren't the first time around. Yeah. Or maybe they have their own kids, you know? Or maybe they have their own kids, yeah. So if you were like 12 the first time around and now you're 26, like, you have a lot of nostalgia for this property and you want to go see it. And it got good reviews. Yeah, it was really fun. So uh, before we get into... Our discussion, uh, just a little bit of housekeeping up front. So find you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and at goodplay.cast.rocks. If you can, please rate and review us on iTunes. That would be lovely. Uh, you can follow and like us on Facebook. We have a group at the Good Play, uh, Twitter at the Good Play Pod, and Gmail. Uh, you can send us an email at thegoodplaypod at gmail.com. The other thing I was going to say is uh, normally... We are, while The Good Place is on hiatus, doing sort of themed months about, like, different things that relate to The Good Place. So uh, June is Ted Danson equals Terrific Dude Month. And last week we did Cheers. But we wanted to cut in with Incredibles 2 because we liked it so much. I tried to get a made-for-TV movie for us to watch for the next Ted Danson equals Terrific Dude installment. And it turned out to be three hours long. <laughs> Ain't nobody got time for that. I, yeah, how is I it made for TV movie almost I three hours? Don't know. But I looked at the DVD. I was like, let's pop this in. Then I look at the DVD case. It says 175 minutes. And I was like, oh, heck no. No, 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 no. No. So we're going to have to find something else. But that's a problem for next week. Right. But in the meantime, we were together this weekend for Father's Day. Happy, at this point, belated Father's Day to... Everybody listening and, you know, any dads out there who aren't actively tearing immigrant children away from their parents. Happy Father's Day to you. Topical. And yes, (laughs) I agree. And so we thought that it would actually be, you know, kind of a nice thing. We did. We took uh, our mom actually to see this. So not quite a Father's Day tradition, (laughs) but um, somebody had to watch the kids. (laughs) Well, it's more like mom cares about. Incredibles and Dad doesn't, right? Pretty Although much. one of so one of the things that I remember about the first Incredibles movie, and one of the things, one of the reasons why it is still, it still has a special place in my heart, is that it really is one of the only movies that I can think of that our whole nuclear family will sit down and watch together. You know, if it's on, I remember it being on, you know, ABC Family or whatever, and then the two of us watching it and then mom coming in and then dad coming in and everybody's sort of sitting around and, and enjoying themselves. And it's not 
like, oh, I have to go do this or I don't care about that or anything like that. It's it's uh, a nice... It, I think it goes to show Pixar does this very, very well, but I think in that particular instance, too, there's something about the family element of it that really was nice for everybody. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe it's a good time to sort of say that we were huge Incredibles fans. We bought the DVD as soon as it was released. And I remember you and I sitting down and watching like all of the special bonus features on the DVD. And like they had, I mean, you, you could just nerd out on this DVD forever. Cause you could click through every single, like every biography of every super that syndrome had murdered. Oh yeah. <laughs> Which some of that comes up again in this movie too. Yeah, it does. So, so we actually went through and we it had like, interviews with all of the murdered supers like obviously from before they were dead and <laughs> and, and like uh, explanations of their power sets and like power ratings for all of them and all that and we we definitely went through all of that and we probably watch it with commentary and all that so we were like oh yeah for super sure. fans of the incredibles and uh on a family trip to disney we got to meet mr and mrs incredible that's right and mom was super stoked to meet mrs incredible because i you know i think, I think mom tried to tell her like you know you're an important role model for women or something i think and, she probably and she, but, did but they're not face characters they are they have like masks right so it's just like you know all she can do is kind of give you a thumbs up it's like it's like talking to mickey mouse or Minnie mouse right <laughs> you don't actually get anything back but I think that's, you know, that's another part of this, too, that I'm sure will be part of the discussion. It's just the, the for those of you who maybe haven't seen The Incredibles or need a little bit of a refresher, it's a story about, the first one is a story about a family of superheroes that have gone basically into hiding and are living normal lives. And each of the members of the family has a superpower that kind of, mimics what their role in the family is or what their kind of uh age is i would say so yes, that's right the father is sort of the strong very st- almost stereotypically physically strong character who needs some emotional work on his emotional strength one could say <laughs> the mother is uh elastigirl and she can stretch in a million different directions and that sort of mimics how moms have to stretch in a million different directions for their families. Mm, uh, you don't say. Mm. <laughs> and then uh, we have Violet, who is the uh, surly sort of preteen, I guess. Is she a full on teenager? She's like 13, 14. Thir- 13, 14 years old. And she, in typical teenager fashion, is uh can turn invisible and she has force fields to keep people out and then there is maybe a seven eight-year-old son named dash who is um kind of just like the hyperactive child and he can run very very fast and he can arguably do everything really really fast he's sort of just at hyper speed yeah he's at hyper speed and uh then there is everyone's favorite jack jack (laughs) the baby who at the end of the first movie we find out that jack jack has powers and he has every conceivable possible power um and in this movie as edna the the what would you call her the 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 superhero designer suit designer would say you know like every baby he has unlimited potential so uh he has sort of unlimited powers at this point because he's he could go in any different direction and that is a big but the family doesn't know that he has power so that is a big point 
in Incredibles 2. So at the this the second movie um kind of picks up where the first one left off almost yeah, let, immediately. Let's just jump in here and say sure. as, you know, per usual when we do movie episodes, we're going to be completely spoiling the movie. So if you haven't seen it yet, I actually think that this movie I actually think that being spoiled on the plot is actually not going to reduce your enjoyment of it very much. No. I would be mad if someone spoiled Black Panther or uh, Infinity War. And this one, I kind of feel like if someone had told me ahead of time the things we're about to discuss, I would have been like, yeah, okay. I mean, it's <laughs> that's it's not the point. The, 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 the reverses and the the secret villains or whatever are very much not the point of the movie. The point of the movie is seeing the family sort of work together. Uh, and that stuff doesn't get spoiled by knowing what's going to happen. But if this is important to you, then you should uh, tune out and go see the movie and uh, tune back in. Right. And, and you know, I think that's the family dynamic is sort of the most important thing. And it just means all the twists and turns and everything just means that in this movie, the family dynamic gets tested in different ways. So we're not going to. Yeah, we're we're going to spoil it as much as a movie can be spoiled that's basically like a family (laughs) like a family comedy and also I think you know like the first one had so much rewatchability because you know there were twists and turns in that one too but again it's sort of not the point uh the the point is to to see the family together so the only thing the only thing I think I would be mad about having spoiled for me which we will absolutely spoil is all of Jack Jack's powers? Oh my gosh! <laughs> Some okay. of those were just so fun to watch unfold. Yeah, I mean, no spoiler. It's it's not a spoiler me saying this, but he is the best part of the whole movie. I think, in my opinion, yeah, like, I have he to agree was with the that. thing I was the most excited about seeing again. And they and I think they Pixar like knew that because in all of the marketing leading up to it, you know, he was definitely prominently a part of all of the marketing. Oh, yeah, he was the, I mean, the, the very first teaser was him just sort of toddling around and then breaking the eye in Incredibles into two pieces with his laser vision yeah. to make it like Incredibles 2. Yeah. You have powers. So why don't we try to do like a brief, because like you yeah. said, the, the, <laughs> the plot isn't the main point of this movie. So maybe we can try to do a brief well, summary. Should, yeah, I'll try to run through it real quick. It's not okay. too, too complicated a movie. So the, our, our five... Uh, so the fifth, our family of five, who we will we will broadly call the Incredibles, right? Yeah, it's basically the end of the Incredibles, where they see the Underminer, who is some weirdo, voiced by Cliff Clavin from Cheers. Um, Cheers so is he w- filmed in front of a live studio audience. Thank you. <laughs> I did turn to you in the theater and say that you did. <laughs> so the Underminer is is you know robbing a bank or whatever, and, and the Incredibles managed to they managed to stop his machinery from destroying city hall but that's pretty much all they managed to do because it, it fighting crime is hard and also the baby is a baby and the two kids are constantly sort of passing off who has to take care of the baby and they finally like foist him on their dad which is pretty <laughs> hilarious and then they get arrested for practicing their for basically being superheroes and we find out that the office that has handled the you know almost the um you know the office of superhero relocation or whatever is being shut down this is the rick decker character wait is it rick dicker rick decker which one is it i think yeah 
This is the Rick Dicker character who has more of a role in the first movie than in the second movie. And unfortunately, the guy who voiced him in the first movie passed away. And um, and I didn't feel like the voice they got for this one matched the first one. But whatever, it is what it is. So he tells them, you know, my office is being shut down and all all I can do for you is two weeks in this kind of crummy motel. And... The Incredibles are sitting down to dinner and they are having a fight about whether what they did with the Underminer was the correct thing to do. And the dad is very much like, yes, we should have done that. And, and I'm I'm proud that we did that. And the mom is like, well, superheroes are illegal and we probably should have followed the law. And if people don't follow the law, then it's chaos. And this is sort of a similar argument to one they had in the first movie, right? That that Helen is is sort of lawful good and maybe... Bob is neutral good or chaotic good? I think he's chaotic good. (laughs) (laughs) And and the kids are really kind of at sixes and sevens because, you know, their house blew up in the first movie and and their parents are fighting and they got arrested. So it's not a great scene. Very shortly after that. Oh, Frozone also helped with the Underminer, but he peaced out real quick. He managed to not get arrested because he is too smart to get arrested, basically. But then Frozone comes to the motel, you know, and Bob and Helen are just like, we have no idea what we're going to do at this juncture. And then Frozone comes and says, look, I got contacted by these, like, telecom moguls, and, like, let's go talk to them in our super suits. And they go talk to them in their super suits. They leave Violet in charge. And it's Bob Odenkirk and Catherine Keener. I don't care to remember their characters' names. That's I the actually voice don't actors. think I do. They're like remember. the Dever, the Devers. That's their yeah, last name. But yeah, I don't yeah. remember. I could not tell you Winston, I think. And I don't remember what Catherine Keener's character's name is at yeah. all. It's Bob Odenkirk and Catherine Keener. It's fine. Yeah. So doing both doing great work. I mean, yeah, I agree. I think all the voice work in this movie was really strong. So Bob Odenkirk is like a super fanboy of superheroes and he wants to bring superheroes back into the light by outfitting them with body cams and having the public sort of see what they have to deal with as they fight crime. And they have this back this very strange backstory of how their per- their parents were their father was murdered by uh, a home invader and the father tried to get superheroes to help them because he was like super into superheroes as well and was like good friends with them but this was like right after they'd been it was either right after they'd been illegalized or it's possibly after syndrome had killed them it's not clear to me which one it was um i think oh that's a good superheroes were no longer legal but well he sort of blames it on the fact that superheroes were no longer legal but it it wasn't clear to me whether or not he knew what actually happened to those superheroes or not. I don't think he did. And it's kind so, of funny that it never comes up. Yeah. So like, so when Marissa says that, like, we went through the, the extra DVD features, extras, yeah. you know, some of those superheroes were on the DVD extras. So we were sort of like, oh, we know what happened with them. You know, so. <laughs> they were brutally murdered. Yeah. But it's actually it's in the first movie that Gazer Beam is brutally murdered right because he bob finds his bones in the underground cave yeah not for a family-friendly movie yeah that's that's what got it that pg rating i'm pretty sure yeah so bob Odenkirk is basically like superheroes are great and and they should be legal again and his sister Catherine keener is like well i think dad should have you know hit the panic button and taken mom to the safe room which is your first clue (laughs) maybe 
she's not totally on board with this. But, you know, if you're a little bitty child, it's probably a surprise when she turns out to be evil later on. Yes. So Bob Odenkirk is like, okay, let's get Elastigirl to wear a body cam and fight crime. And we will, like, get, we'll show the footage, you know, on TV or whatever. Remember, this is, like, retro future, so... It's supposed to be like 1962 or something-ish, and yet there's some really modern technology. It's a little confusing. It's very Jetsons, and I was super into it. Yeah, it's it's, it's super attractive. It's really nice to look at. Uh, and he picks Elastigirl because she is sort of not as destructive as Mr. Incredible. You know, he's, he claims his sister ran numbers of like, how, sort of like how much damage they did versus how much good they did, like trying to balance out like the most good for the least damage. And it totally tracks for me that Elastigirl is the well, and that is the superior one, right? And that's almost part of the point, right? Is that you know he, Mister Incredible, is just sort of not shoot first, ask questions later, but you know smash this first and ask questions later. And Elastigirl is more smarter, smarter and more focused, and uh, does more sort of like problem solving as they go. And that is also the way it is kind of in their family. Not that Bob smashes things in their family, but that he has these, he's a little more hot-headed uh, than she is. Yes. So she kind of, so they offer this to her and, and they also say like, you know, you're going to, they'll give them a place to live and also probably a bunch of money. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, they don't say exactly how much, but it, it's, I think it's supposed to be significant. And the only other alternative they really have is for Bob to get like a normal white collar job. And so Helen thinks it over and she's really reticent to do it. She doesn't want to leave Bob with the kids alone, but in the end she decides to do it, especially because Bob is really pressuring her to do it because he really wants supers to become legal again. And it's not, it's not clear to me even now whether his primary motivator is that he wants to be back doing hero work or if he genuinely is concerned about his children, you know, growing up and having to be underground for their entire lives. Well, that's sort of, that's, I, I think it I think the surface reason is that he wants to be out there again, but I I do th- you know he really does care about his kids, so I think yeah I think as the movie goes on his motivation skews maybe more and more towards like his children have the right to decide what they do with their lives and right. you know so that's that's why he wants this you know this legislation that bans them basically reversed so she goes out and she kind of kicks butts and takes names. And is videotaped doing it. And she has, she's like becomes wildly popular. But her main nemesis, I'm really the only nemesis we see. Like we don't really see any like street level crime, right? No. The only thing that really happens is there's this villain called Screen Slaver who flashes these black and white lights. By the way, if you are epileptic, do not see this movie. <laughs> who flashes these black and white lights and is able to control people totally with this, you know, light-based hypnosis. So this villain causes a train to careen out of control and hijacks TV signals and, you know, kind of causes all kinds of havoc. Almost crashes a jet that's carrying... Oh, oh, the hovercraft that's carrying some ambassador. It's never clear what country she's supposed to be She's from, from. like, Europea. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And Helen, you know, manages to save the day. And there's these great action scenes where she's, you know, going after these people who have, well, these vehicles basically that have been hijacked by Screenslaver. And meanwhile, 
Screenslaver allegedly has a motivation. I mean, we sometimes hear screenslavers like manifestos sort of being said through the mouth of someone who's hypnotized but i have to admit that it like really went in one ear and out the other for me it was never the most interesting thing happening in the movie even when screenslaver was talking i was more interested by like okay what is helen gonna do you know helen's kind of creeping around or or she's running off to here like i don't care what screenslaver is saying my understanding is that it's saying something about you people are weak and you've let superheroes do all the work for you. And also you like screens too much and blah, 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 something, something. <laughs> do you have anything to add to Screen Slavers um, manifestos I, talk? I do only because I think, you know, uh, I guess we'll get to the twist in a, in a hot second, but I almost think that it was meant to be kind of generic, more generic stuff because it's not, who you think it is and it's also like it, it screen slaver as a character as a supervillain doesn't isn't the main bad person we find out and so i wasn't really bothered by the fact that screen slaver like doesn't have so much of a personality because or it, like maybe has some ideology, more generic yeah. ideology about you know you sheeple and all that kind of stuff because <laughs> the point isn't that you know, I'm making a, as a villain, I'm making a commentary on modern life. The point is more, much more twisty and, and personal than that, as we'll find out. So, like, I wasn't really bothered by it. I did think, though, that the way that they handled a particular fight scene... So, like, you hear Screenslaver's manifestos at, at one point while Helen is tracking him down... And that whole sequence... That was when I so incredibly tuned out. <laughs> that right, but voice. I think... But that's what I mean, is I think you're supposed to tune out because you're supposed to be more interested in what she's doing and how she's catching him. And you're also supposed to be more interested in all of the little... Like, she basically goes through his hideout and finds clues and finds, like, things that looking... You know, in the theater, I was like, this is way too easy, right? Like, it's way too easy that he would have out on a table like his plans for the monorail right so you know you but that's what you're supposed to be paying attention to rather than his voice and then i did think though that the fight scene between the two of them was super cool except if you are if you have problems with flashing lights like marissa said don't don't watch this part but i did think that was a very very cool action sequence so i think it you know, I'm not bothered by the fact that it was a little bit more generic of a baddie because I've heard some reviewers talking about Screenslaver and Screenslaver's motivation and what does it mean? Is it a commentary on on our smartphones or whatever? And I I agree with you that I think it's kind of missing the point that like Screenslaver is just like a kind of a nothing. It's just a front for right. Catherine Keener. I've already said she was the villain. It's just a front for Catherine Keener who has her own, you know, she's, like, mad at superheroes, I guess, for not saving her parents or or for being for being the thing that her father thought would save him when he should have just relied on, like, the police or his panic room or whatever. Right. I like, mean, when people rely on superheroes, bad things happen, I guess, is her point of view. Yeah, and, it, and I think also, you know, she... She wants to sort of put the nail in the coffin of superheroes once and for all so that other people don't kind of like fall into the same trap, I guess. Right. So so at the same time that 
Helen is doing all this hero work. The parallel storyline that's happening is that Bob is at home with the kids. Yay. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, Helen's storyline is so magnificent for the action, but the family stuff happening at home is arguably like the heart of the movie. It's the heart, yeah. So Bob starts out really kind of botching everything, but it's in some sense it's not his fault. I mean, he really gets the cards stacked against him. Like, I think the stuff with Dash is like, you kind of just have to roll with it. Dash is having trouble with his homework. But Violet had this thing happen at the end of the first movie where this boy asked her out. And because he saw her without her mask on, he got his memory erased by Rick Dicker. And Violet is furious about this. And, like, that's not... That, you know, Bob had nothing to do with that, really. Well, he he had something to do with it in that he told... He informed. Yeah, but he had to, right? <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, and that's sort of the the bigger point is that, like, you know, he was trying to protect his family and she is sort of being a, a humiliated, uh, an angry, surly teenager about everything. Right. <laughs> And then the thing that's going on with Jack-Jack is, of course, the best part of the movie, the which is that part. as soon as his mother leaves, he manifests, uh, I think they count 17 powers? 17 different powers, yeah. We don't see all of them, I don't think, but we, so we, the ones we saw at the end of the last movie were that he could sort of transmute himself into various forms, which I think they call po- being a polymorph. That's what Edna calls it in this movie. Uh, he can turn into a demon. He can catch on fire. He turned into lead. That's what happened in the first movie. He did also in the first movie float from room to room through like interdimensional voids. In the first movie? Yeah, he did that when because the the poor babysitter who's like completely that's sleep not deprived. in the that's not in the movie. That's in the short. Oh, that, okay. That's in the short. So okay, there is a short called Jack Jack Attack. That is that's cano- right. That's canonical. It is the story of what happens when the four older members of the family are on the island and Jack-Jack is left with Carrie, the babysitter. Yeah. Kari. Kari. And Syndrome at some point shows up and takes the baby. Right. And that's what we actually see in the movie is Syndrome with the baby. But Jack-Jack Attack is the story. Yeah. So he manifests a lot of the powers that come up in the second movie in Jack-Jack Attack. But I don't think most people have seen Jack-Jack Attack. Uh, it's. I think it's on the DVD, though, of the first movie. So... So, <laughs> poor Bob. I mean, it's just... Uh, Bob doesn't sleep for, like, four days straight or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, Jack-Jack manages to... You know, he can phase through solid anything. So he gets out of his crib super easily. He, like... So he will get out of his crib and go up to the couch and, like, sit there with the remote control. Yeah. <laughs> and like, Bob will be basically, Like, where did you come from? At one point, he sees a... This is one of the best parts of the movie. He sees a raccoon out the back window... Um, taking like a turkey leg from the trash or something, and Jack Jack gets really angry at him, and he he's phases- supposed to be the television show that he's watching is a superhero like a getting the better of a masked bandit. Oh, I totally did not make that connection. Of yeah. course. So he's watching. It's like because this is a retro future. He's watching yes. a very retro, like a cops and robbers show. A cops and robbers show that's very retro, and the bandit has on a mask and the the and he's robbing a store right and then he jack jack looks outside and see a sees a masked bandit (laughs) in the form of a raccoon stealing from the trash and so jack jack gets very upset about this and he's pissed and 
sort of zaps himself through yeah, the patio through, doors. <laughs> yeah, he phases through the, the picture window. And then he uses telekinesis to put the trash can lid back on. And then he gets into a fight with the raccoon that is just like, I mean, it's like Looney Tunes. A full on, like, brawl. Yeah. He, he tries to catch the, he, he, he catches patio chairs on fire. He also, I think he apparently has super strength, right? Because he's like throwing the patio chairs. He has super strength. He can turn into like, he can double himself like a million times. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like a multiple. He has he, he laser vision, laser vision <laughs> that he can like control. He, yeah. He's just like the whole thing. He never manages to get that raccoon though. No. He like snaps it up in the, in the patio umbrella, but I think it gets away, right? Yeah, it gets away because Mr. Incredible, like... Oh, yeah, Bob comes out, is basically like, Jack-Jack! Running out, and is like... And this is when he discovers that Jack-Jack has powers, because he's... (laughs) He's actually, like, super stoked on the fact that Jack-Jack has powers at first, and then realizes that... He was like, oh, what do you have? Like, what kind of power do you have? And then it, he sees that he has, like, every power every imaginable. Power. <laughs> and it's like, oh, no. <laughs> like, no, 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 no. So what he ends up doing... So he first he calls Frozone, who comes over and is like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, what is this? And you need to sleep. And, like, what? So Bob ends up calling Edna, our beloved Edna. Yeah. And he takes... Jack Jack over to Edna's and is like, please, please help me. And Edna's like, why would you think I would babysit your kid? And then Jack Jack like starts morphing parts of his face to look like Edna. And Edna realizes that this baby has like basically unlimited power. And she's like, great. Okay. See you tomorrow. Bye. Like, <laughs> just like, it is. That is the cutest. As somebody who like, I had a moment where, so like, you know, like babies who look like you, you're sort of attached to them. Right. I had a moment where, I was like, as somebody who doesn't have kids, but who has, like, she calls herself Auntie Edna, like, the next day. As someone who doesn't have kids, ha- but, like, who has an attachment to someone else's kids, your kids. Um, <laughs> yes. Like, it was, that was such a fun dynamic to see, because she's completely overwhelmed. She's like, I can't believe you think I would babysit your kids. Like, this is this is not a kid-friendly environment. I need my creative space, and I need my sleep, and get away from me. And then this baby arguably morphs himself to look a little bit more like her, and she's like, oh, but now I love you, <laughs> right? And so, <laughs> and it turns out that they really do bond and have, like, a wonderful, like, she ends up being so taken by him um, that they have, like, a wonderful... Um, yeah, she says like time this together. one. This one I'll always babysit for free. <laughs> I'll babysit for free, and yeah. So the next morning he comes back to after having finally slept. <laughs> yeah. Well, he does have a really nice. Oh, we're missing a little bit. Like this is all again. Like not spoiling anything, but like each of the kids' plot lines has like a couple things that move it forward. Dash is you know is more just like frustration over homework, but Violet, poor Bob. Mr. Incredible takes, you know, tries to make it up to Violet that this boy doesn't remember her and takes them to a family restaurant where this kid works. And she is just like completely beside herself. And I was like clutching your arm. I was like, oh, God. Oh, no, no. You know, our dad would have done the exact same thing. Yes. And so 
And it's all out of, like, he's trying to be helpful and she just, like, is rejecting him, like, rejecting everything. And he finally, like, apologizes to her and he's like, I'm just trying to be a good dad. And I, yeah, like, so, I'm like, sorry that this happened to you and I wish I could have done something about it. So that's what happens, like, when he when he gets home... She finds him on the couch and she's like, Edna's babysitting? Like, and you're okay with that? And he's like, yes, for some reason. And then <laughs> they have this actually very, very sweet father-daughter moment where, yeah, he says, I'm just trying to be a good dad. And, you know, and she says, you know, you're not good. You're super. And then he is, like, full on asleep because he hasn't slept <laughs> for, like, four days. And then she, the next morning... Like, the kids are behaving themselves, and she, like, brings him breakfast and has let him sleep, and so he feels renewed, and then he goes and picks up the baby, who has a really cool new super suit. And, importantly, like, a tracking device that goes with it, uh, tells you where the baby is and what power the baby is about to evince, and has some (laughs) countermeasures against some of the powers. Yeah, and it is really hilarious and... Probably that was my favorite sequence of the whole movie. The Edna bonding with the baby and then sort of like showing off all the powers of the suit and everything like that. All right. And explaining to Bob that just offering him cookie after cookie is (laughs) never the answer. Because (laughs) at the end of the line of cookies, you will get demon baby. (laughs) (laughs) Which is like we were the whole movie. We were looking at each other like this is... Your second born. This is your yes. second born. This, this is, is your extremely born. accurate. <laughs> As you said, a biopic of my yes. second baby. Yes. Yeah. He. We took him to the grocery store tonight, and as soon as we were anywhere near the cookies, he was like, Kiki! Kiki! Like, all right. All right. <laughs> I don't have the will that Edna Mode has. Right. So, you also don't have a super suit for him. No, I don't. Oh, God, I wish I did. So, what ends up happening is that Helen figures out that Catherine Keener is the screen slaver. She thinks she catches the screen slaver. It's just some kid that Catherine Keener was controlling. The real screen slaver is Catherine Keener. Very get out, actually. (laughs) To have (laughs) Catherine Keener be like a secret bad person. So uh, basically the moment that she realizes this, Catherine Keener hypnotizes her by slapping on these weird goggles... Yeah, so that is sort of the goggles. That is sort of the one thing about the screenslaver is that I think it's a it's it's more of like a front to have this technology of she's got like screen goggles that uh, hypnotize people. And with Helen hypnotized, she calls Bob, tells Bob Helen's in trouble. Bob comes, they have a very brief fight, and then Helen gets the goggles on Bob. And which is not great. And so now both the parents are hypnotized and doing what Screenslaver wants, aka Catherine Keener. And then someone, so Frozone goes to the house to to keep the kids safe, but also a horde of brainwashed uh, second rate, second tier supers have been sent by Screenslaver, who are all have the goggles. And there's a fight at the house, and they manage to Frozone gets goggled. But the kids managed to get away in the Incredimobile. Incredicar? Incredibile. Incredibile. Thank you. That that, uh, Dash manages to summon. It's too long to explain. So they get away. And they know that they have to save their parents. So they go to the basically like giant pleasure yacht where there is supposed to be this like international signing of like new accords to make supers legal again, which I was like, this doesn't count for anything. And like, what, since when does the United States give one fig about international law? 
Well, <laughs> we don't care, right? We would lately. have to have our. We would, yeah, we would have. But no, I think in general, you know, there's a lot of things that, like, you know, what, but whatever. It's 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 the op- well, you said <laughs> it's the retro the future. It's the no, it's this. It's like the opposite of the Sokovia Accords. It <laughs> also for those of you who are like like longer time superhero movie fans it also is very reminiscent of uh in x1 the end of the first x-men movie where they have all of the world leaders gathering together on ellis island and there's like a a plot afoot it's just like anytime you gather world leaders together in a superhero (laughs) movie like some ish is about to go down so the kids get onto the yacht and Jack-Jack is immediately misplaced because <laughs> he is too powerful for they his siblings. They need a baby Bjorn for this kid. They just like cannot <laughs> keep track of him. He would have right out of it. That's true. And, you know, hijinks, hijinks. At the end, you know, the, the brainwashed supers have taken control of this pleasure yacht and are about to like crash it into some big it's not municipal it's like it's it's their version of new york i don't know what they call it but it's, it's yeah like, it's their it's their metropolis whatever yeah 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 and uh the kids come in and it's so cute the baby toddler he sees his mother for the first time in like i don't know weeks maybe so he goes over he's like mama mama and and Catherine keener is controlling uh, Elastigirl and she's like what is this baby like what and then does she pick him up I guess and then he sees that she's got this go- these goggles on and he like intuits that they're bad and he's like mm, and he uses his telekinesis I don't to- think he intuits that they're bad I think he is a baby and uh, just yeah baby's like the- well no the look on his face was definitely like get these the hell off my mom's face and I don't know if it's like that he intuited that they were bad or if it was just like a lot of babies don't like it when you wear dark glasses. They don't like it when they can't see your eyes. They yeah. find it very unsettling. So it may have just been that. It may have just been like, no, I need to be able to like actually see my mom's face like yeah. in full. So he's like, Rah! and then he telekinesis the glasses off and Helen immediately snaps out of it. And because she is like the smartest of pretty much anybody on board she manages to get bob and lucius's glasses glasses off as well and that's when they realize that they are like headed for metropolis or whatever and they kind of have to like simultaneously fight all these second tier supers who have the glasses on the goggles i should say and also Catherine keener's trying to escape so elastigirl goes with this second tier called void who is basically the portal gun from portal and she really dramatically manages to save Catherine Keener, despite Catherine Keener's best <laughs> attempts to kill Helen and then also kind of to die when she doesn't manage to kill Helen. Meanwhile, Frozone and Mr. Incredible uh, have to try to work to turn the ship so that it won't run into the city. And they kind of just managed to do that. And... I don't know what Jack-Jack is doing this whole time. Oh, oh, that's right. Violet stays with Jack-Jack so that she can protect him in case the plan goes south and they crash anyway. And, of course, they save the day. And uh, I think supers are legal now. (laughs) I think. Unclear. It's also like, so uh, Catherine Keener lives and gets taken into custody. But it's like not clear what's going to happen to her. And Violet says something very cutting. Violet's like she's rich. She's gonna get a slap on the wrist, and that's it. And then the and then um, what's his face? Uh, Winston 
the Bob Odenkirk is like, well, I'm grateful that you saved my sister. And then like, that was sort of it. Not a ton of resolution there, but the bigger resolution is sort of that the family's all back together again. It's, it's interesting. This is technology, the screen slaver technology, not unlike the zero point energy that syndrome invents in the first movie is like devastating technology. And the very existence of it in this sort of universe is, has these very broad implications that I don't think a children's movie can wrestle with, but are relevant in a world populated with like superheroes and supervillains. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If, you know, Syndrome was not a super. And a lot of that first movie was about his resentment about not being a super. But if you imagine a... Well, and neither is Catherine Keener. No, that's right. So if you imagine a supervillain who had access to zero-point energy and the screenslaver technology, like, ah! <laughs> you could make hosed. a You could make, like, a dark, gritty Incredibles reboot, like, directed by Zack Snyder. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just that I, like... Any technology that has the ability to, you know, the superheroes, well, supers, forget superheroes, supers in this universe, you know, are incredibly potent weapons. And any technology that allows you to brainwash them and, and use them in a way that you choose is potentially really, really dangerous. Yeah. Like, all you know, if if Russia can do what Screenslaver did and harness all the supers of the world to, you know, assassinate this, that, the other, you know, like... Yeah. It, it has these implications that the movie doesn't... I don't think the movie wrestles with it either in the first or the second movie because there's sort of this understanding that the technology, in the case of Syndrome, like, dies with the creator or in the case of Catherine Keener, like goes into hibernation because she's not around to use it. But like, if it exists, then it exists. Somebody's going to figure it out. Yeah. I mean, I think your original point of like, this is a kid's movie and you know, you're not going to get too bogged down in the sort of international, the global crisis implications of having this kind of stuff available. You know, when a lot of the stuff, a lot of the technology is more to drive the action than it is to drive, like, the heart of the movie. Um, you know, It sure would have been interesting, though, if there had been something with Edna where she's like, oh, I figured out how this screenslaver stuff works, and if you just block out, like, magenta light, so I'll just put something in your masks that blocks out magenta light so you can't be enslaved like that. Oh, that, you know, that would have been cool. That would have been cool. And then she could have had, like, a whole fashion line. <laughs> Of, like, yeah. anti... Because that, I mean, I think, yeah, the bigger thing would have been to have something where any screen can be hijacked at any time and we're all in front of screens all day, right? Maybe that was the kind of, like, bigger... Wake up, sheeple! Yeah, like, maybe that was the kind of bigger societal question that some of the adult adults who are responsible for reviewing movies were, was, like, looking for. Because that happens a lot. I mean, when you look at... Marvel movies, right? The the current slate of Marvel movies talk, and we talked about this in our Avengers or our uh, Infinity War podcast, but like the Sokovia Accords and all that stuff happened because there are real life consequences in this universe to what superheroes do, right? There are real life people die. There's like real collateral damage. There's international implications for all this stuff. 
And you saw that, you know, I mentioned X, the first X-Men movie, like the point of the first X-Men movie was in a way like very similar to Incredibles, the first Incredibles, which is when everyone's super, no one will be right. That was Syndrome's whole thing. Like, I'm just gonna, you know, make it so that everybody has the same abilities. And in the first X-Men movie, you have all these world leaders who are discriminating against like, they look at the international implications of what it is to be a mutant. And so they have all these world leaders who are discriminating against mutants. And Magneto's whole thing is, I'm going to make you all mutants so that you have no choice but to, you know, see what it's like to be us. And then maybe you will have, you know, a conscience when it comes to us. I am still not sure that mutant registration is the wrong thing. <laughs> well, I'm that's sorry. A, that's a different story. <laughs> I don't, it's not like I think every mutant should have been required to register with the government, but I think if you were a mutant whose powers could have been like wildly lethal, then the same way that you have to, you know, in a lot of states, if you are a certain level of like black belt or something, you have to register as yourself as like a lethal weapon. Like, right. That's what they, in the first movie, that's what he says. He says, we have a girl who can walk through walls. What's stopping her from walking through a bank vault? Yeah, it's a little different. I mean, it's not lethal. It's just sort of property damage but related. in, you know, in another X-Men movie, you see how people can use mutants to basically hypnotize mutants to do what they want, right? Oh, so, well, like this movie. <laughs> yeah. So it is, but it is sort of what's interesting. Using Cerebro, right? Right. But what's interesting is that, yeah, that it, it, it does... This movie doesn't, ha- like, touches on slightly, has, like, the moral murkiness, but doesn't get deep into it because the point is not that. The point is about this family and this uh, baby is really adorable and their powers are fun. And, you know, the, you know, I don't think it's supposed to be a really deep meditation on, like, the mutant's response or the superhero's responsibility to the state. You know what I mean? <laughs> Right. Oh, and then at the very end, Violet introduces herself again to this boy, and she kind of takes it upon herself, and she stops blaming her dad, so she takes it upon herself to to, uh, introduce herself to him, and Oh, they they do go on a date, that's right, yeah. They start to go on a date, and the entire family's in the car, (laughs) and it is just, like, completely mortifying, and then there is a sort of a disturbance uh, in the neighborhood and the Incredibles family has to go take care of the, you know, evildoer and Violet opts to go with them and says, save me a seat, I'll be back before the previews. And then like, that's kind of how the movie ends is that they're all suiting up together. Just like exactly like the end of the first one. Right. So we liked it, right? Yo, yeah, I enjoyed the heck out of it. Yeah, me too. Uh, it's it's beautifully done. When you yeah. sort of compare it to the first one, I mean, animation has made such leaps and bounds. I mean, Helen's face alone is sort of like a work of art now in a way that it wasn't in the first movie. And her hair is great, too. And oh, the action hair. sequences. Yeah, I know. The action, the action sequences, particularly of Helen, they give her like a elasta bike or something like it's a bike that can kind elasta of move. cycle elasta cycle yeah that can move with there's her. this really funny exchange where it comes out that bob never knew that she had an she used to have an elasta cycle this is like an updated version by Catherine yeah. keener 
And she's like, yeah, there's like a lot you didn't know about, about me. Like, I used to have a mohawk. And he's like, what? And she's like, bye. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that is sort of like an interesting part of the movie is the sort of like putting Elastigirl in front when she has spent the last, you know, 15 years in the shadows. Not only is she, has she been illegal as a superhero, but also like she's been doing a lot of like the domestic work, right? So the I think the point of putting her up front and making Bob be the primary caregiver for the kids was to kind of turn that on its head. Um, and I thought it was well executed, but yeah, she has this, um, bike. And so when she's going to stop the train or when she's even just like on the highway and she's really enjoying driving and like being out in the spotlight and stuff, the, the sequences, the action sequences were really, really well directed and well, I guess, blocked and well executed. Yeah, I'm just thinking now uh, more philosophical bog downiness, sorry. Mm-hmm. When when Rick Dicker tells them that the office of superhero relocation or river is being disbanded, he says something like politicians just can't understand someone who would do good for the sake of doing good or whatever. And it's like that is a very very cynical take on like all politicians <laughs> like yeah it, and i guess like maybe that you know that's some hard won opinions from a guy who's been doing this for a long time but I, you know maybe well, to, you you never see you never see an american politician who gives you any reason to doubt that he was correct <laughs> you see this like european <laughs> ambassador woman but there's never an american politician who is like i you know you really changed my mind like it's all this like international stuff it's never american well i sort of take it in a way i could you could look at it as a commentary on america which i think to a degree it is supposed to be but you know i think of a place like uh like gotham city for example where like it's a microcosm of like some like the worst parts of New York, right? Gotham is supposed to be uh, New York after dark. New York after dark. Metropolis is supposed to be New York in the daytime, right? So if you think about Municiburg, right? It seems like a pretty, like, what's the word I'm looking for? It seems like a pretty placid place to live, but maybe, but there seems to be sort of like the seedy underbelly of the city that like, we don't, explore that much um but like you know they have a police scanner that they're listening to and bob used to listen to the police scanner so maybe it's a situation where uh, through the political means and through this sort of like no superheroes thing the city has gotten cleaned up or something and yeah but just someone saying oh politicians don't understand people do good for the sake of doing good like how many freaking volunteer firefighters are there in America? Like tha- thousands, tens right. of thousands. It's just a weird thing to say. And it, I think it is sort of an explicit statement of like, uh, it comes across as being him being a mouthpiece for Brad Bird, quite frankly. So does the and, end when Violet says, oh, she's rich, she's going to get a slap on the wrist. It seemed very out of character for, like, a 14-year-old girl to say that. Yes. There are a couple times when it seems like Brad Bird's voice is coming through 
a little too loud. And that was definitely one of them. And, and, and certainly the one that you mentioned. Now I appreciated that one, but yeah. Um, I mean, this Brad Bird is obsessed. I mean, people, I look, I'm far from being the first one to point this out, but Brad Bird is obsessed with this idea that some people are just intrinsically better than other people and they should be left to their own devices, which is kind of like the plot of like Iron Man two, I guess. Did he work on Iron Man 2? No, 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 no. But I- I'm saying it, it's a theme in, in the superhero genre. That there are some people who are just better and we should kind of let them do their thing. Which sometimes works narratively and sometimes it doesn't. I think in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, when you have these extraterrestrial threats, then you kind of have to be like, well extraterrestrial threats require extraterrestrial countering, right? So that's kind of, it justifies itself almost in a way. In this movie, you know, I would say that possibly supervillains require superheroes, but we don't see a lot of supervillainry in this movie. It's not clear if if the Underminer is a super or not. He's he looks weird. He, yeah, he certainly looks he <laughs> looks, looks like real a weird. <laughs> but we don't see any we with the verbal sorry, the the Incredibles duology has still <laughs> not shown us an honest to god supervillain that would justify the existence of superheroes. You don't need a superhero yeah. to fight mugging. Like that is literally what the police are for. So right. So Brad Bird sort of takes it as written that, like, of course superheroes have the right to exist and and exert their will in sort of a vigilante fashion on the populace. But, you know, I don't think that his text supports that statement, like, at all. Yeah, you know, it's funny because, like, that is also sort of the Spider-Man thing, right? It's like he he starts out kind of like stopping muggings, right? And he only, he gets deeper into a lot of, and a lot of the superhero genre has people turning to superhero vigilantism after like a normal crime, right? You know, we were talking in the car on the way home about how Catherine Keener's character is kind of like the, the inverse of Batman. Inverse of Batman. Both sets of parents were killed by muggers or I think intruders. her mother survived, right? Mm-mm. Really? Yeah. They, or no, she died of a broken heart. You're right. She That's died right. Of, yeah. She died that of a famous heart. ailment that killed uh, Luke and Leia's mom. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let's not even go there. But yeah, so both, of, but both parents, right, were killed by just normal people who were doing bad things, right? It's not that oh, our father was killed by a supervillain and therefore, like, I have to, we have to avenge him or something. It that was... would almost be a more coherent plot that that their father was killed by a supervillain and she, so, and so they take it, so Bob Odenkirk and Catherine Keener take that two different ways. Right. He takes it as, we need superheroes to combat the supervillains and she takes it as all supers are bad and super shouldn't exist, like some sort of like super genocide the way that Syndrome kind of did. Yeah, I mean, I actually agree with you. I think that probably would have been, like, a more coherent thing. And a more interesting look at, like, because this is, again, very philosophical, which I didn't think... I thought we were just going to talk about Jack-Jack the whole time, but very philosophical. Very philosophical. Was Bomb Voyage a super... (laughs) He wasn't, right? He was just a guy. 
I don't Bomb know. Voyage. He's yeah. from the first movie. I don't. He, it's when when Buddy catches up to Mister Incredible. It's uh, he's in the middle of foiling Bomb Voyage. He's got that ridiculous French accent. He goes, oh, Monsieur yeah, Incroyable. Yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, I don't know. I think maybe he just has a suit. I don't know. But the philosophical thing might be right that you have, if you're born with powers, right? You're you might not be born super villain or superhero at some at some point you make that decision right so if if Catherine Keener and Bob Odenkirk had been on you know two sides of the same coin in that respect of like you know a super kill a super villain killed our parents well he could say we need superheroes and she could say well any superhero could become a supervillain and I'll show you how easy that is Oh, I like that. So, like, that's... Because that is sort of... She's trying to get the superheroes to self-destruct in a way. To show that, like, you know, their powers can be used for ill as well, right? So, that would have been... If I had been in, you know, the editing room with Brad Bird, as (laughs) if... That maybe that would have been a story edit that I you know we could have pitched because i think that does make it a little bit more coherent because because then you could you could also look at the kids and you could look at jack jack as adorable as he is and say you know if you have a a a super who can turn into a demon whenever he gets angry right it's the same thing as the hulk it's like you can use the hulk for good but you can also use it for very very destructive bad Uh, if you have a superhero who can shoot laser beams out of his eyes you can use that for good or bad and it just depends you know bob's point about like we have to have our kids have a choice could go even further to say we can't have our kids growing up resenting the fact that they're super because that could turn them to the dark side of being a super and yeah and it's interesting how you know for for some reason, we've all latched onto the idea of people with powers fighting crime. Whereas it does seem to me like a lot of the powers that we saw on display in this movie, like could have been used in ways that like greatly helped humanity and had nothing to do with fighting crime. Like cer- certainly so- something like, you know, if, J- if, if, if Dash gets a little older and, and, you know, and a little stronger and can kind of carry things than, like, if there's some sort of a natural disaster and people need to be evacuated out of a place, you know, he can kind of run back and forth and carry people out of the... Well, we the, saw that in the in the opening chase that sequence. Was not a, well, that was not a natural disaster, right? That no, was... no. But what we, what we saw was there's a woman who's about to get, like, crushed by a car and he runs over and grabs her and pulls her out of the way. Right. So, Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of, I don't even, yeah, for some reason, th- this, in, in this instantiation, like, it's all about crime. But you could say, like, I don't know, like, Mr. Incredible is incredibly powerful. Like, can he, can he be used as an energy source? I don't know. I'm just, <laughs> just spitballing. Like, if he, <laughs> if he turned a turbine, and that could be, like, renewable energy, like, maybe that's not something that he wants to do all day. <laughs> but, like... Just or or if someone is like trapped in a well, you know, an elastic girl can kind of stretch and get them out of a well. There's just like all kinds of more. You kind of see this at the beginning of the first Incredibles, where Mister Incredible gets a cat out of a tree, but it's played for laughs. Yeah, and it's just interesting to me that every all the whole focus is on this sort of crime fighting thing, 
when it does seem to me like, and I, and I'm not being entirely like creative at this moment because it's kind of late at night, but it does seem to me like some of them, their powers could be harnessed for like humanitarian purposes. Right. So yeah, I mean that's a that's an interesting point. And then you have, and then you have the opposite of that, right? Like you have. If Frozone were evil, like, he could do some real damage to the environment. Yeah, I guess he could. Poor Frozone is, like, always just his whole job is to, like, slow things down. Yeah. <laughs> he, he he did not have much more of a part in this movie than he did in the first one. Yeah. He's, he's still, like, this perennial sidekick. And maybe part of that is, like, realistically what they can get Samuel L. Jackson in the studio for. Like... <laughs> it's probably pretty hard to to nail him down because he's probably far, fil- filming Marvel movies like nine months a year. <laughs> yeah, but, even uh, just his cameos, right? <laughs> but well, I mean, he's doing he's doing Captain Marvel right now, and he's like really in that movie. Oh, okay. He's it, it's it takes place in the nineties, I want to say. So they give him like a little wig. <laughs> <laughs> but like he's it, it. My my understanding of the upcoming Captain Marvel movie, which everybody should go see, that is it's going to come out next March. So you've got a while is that she's like his first super oh, cool. hero. And, and so like this, his, his sort of world weary nature that we see at the end of Iron Man, you know, is kind of hard one after years of taking care of Captain Marvel. Wow. Um, In any case. So yeah. I don't think that, I don't think Samuel L. Jackson is an easy person to get to. Yeah. So I wonder if that's it or if they just couldn't think of more of a part for him, but yeah, he was very much sidekicked in this movie. Yeah, but he he did a good job with what he did have. Let's just talk about Jack. Can we just talk about Jack Jack some more? <laughs> He's so cute. There's a point at which, like Marissa was saying, he, he breaks the glasses or the goggles. And uh, last year on our family vacation, uh, Marissa's second born son took my uh, sunglasses and snapped them in half. And uh, you were like, this is very relevant. Just, I was like, I was like, this is uh, this is my life. This is, I'm seeing my nephew's life story unfold on screen. You know, they did not contact us about life rights. No, he, but he was just adorable, and I don't know. He he just stole every single scene he was in. I thought, yeah, it's like just the the joy. You know, there is a joy that children have when they realize that they can do something and sometimes it can be as easy as you know if you are playing with a child and they poke you in the tummy and you go like oh you know like oh you got me or you like fall over like they love that this is so i think jack jack is meant to be about 12 15 months old thereabouts Mm -hmm. and my uh, second born is 20 months so he's like a skosh older but not a lot older yeah and he loves you know yeah, like, oh, he, you know, just this morning, I think he was messing around with our dad, his grandpa, and sort of, like, hitting him with a pillow, and our dad being like, oh, you know, and, and my my little baby just laughing his butt off, just thinking this was so great that he was able to do this. It's so funny. And it's the, I mean, it's the exact same thing with Jack-Jack. Like, Jack-Jack realizes he can do these things and is so delighted by it, and that delight is infectious, and it just absolutely gets under your skin as an audience member, just like... This pure joy in discovery that, like, you can zap a raccoon with your laser eyes. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and, and just the fact that, like, he does, he does so many, it, it's like he's super advanced in some ways and then also, like, a total 
regular baby in other ways. Like the whole thing about the cookies, right? Like he loves getting cookies. And when he stops getting them, like a normal kid would just have a tantrum. And his tantrum is just that he turns into like a demon that's on fire. Like, and I think that's sort of the point is that like every person who's ever looked after a toddler can relate to the demon baby that comes out when you stop giving them cookies. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Happened to me just today. (laughs) It's no fun. So which, which power would you want would I want me to have or would I want my toddler son to have? No, you, 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 you. Oh, that's a good question. We see a couple supers that have flight. They're not they're not mean. They're like third tier. They're basically like foreign superheroes who are there with their ambassadors. I always thought flight would be a pretty cool power. That would be cool. Um, but like of the Jack Jack powers? I don't know. Do you have one picked out? Well, of the other ones, I would say I like that void one was pretty cool. I thought, oh, oh, the portal going gun. into the portals. Yeah, um, I can't. Mm. But of Jack Jacks, I like the ability to kind of zap himself through walls and stuff. Yeah, I was gonna say that one's probably the most useful. Yeah, because you and I are not going to find ourselves in um, crime fighting situations. <laughs> I don't want laser eyes or to be able to go on fire or turn into a demon. Like, I'm not interested in becoming a caped vigilante. Right. I wonder if Jack-Jack will keep all those powers or if one day he settle, he will settle I think into one. Edna implies that he is probably going to lose some, but that he has more than a normal super baby would. Yeah, because... <laughs> You would almost, like, I had a moment where I was like, oh, I wonder if all babies are like, all super babies are like this. But then you would think that Bob wouldn't no, be No, Bob explicitly says, Bob explicitly says that the first two kids were not like this. Yeah. So, like, yeah, it's, he seems very, very overwhelmed at the thought of Jack-Jack having all these powers. So, I, I what I got from Edna was, like, he's not going to retain all of these powers, but the fact that he has so many at this stage implies that he's either going to have a lot of powers for a super or that he's going to be extremely powerful, whatever his power is. That was mm-hmm. what I kind of took away from that. That makes sense. Oh, I guess the I guess the shape-shifting is pretty useful. You know, like Mystique-style. That's true, Mystique-style shape-shifting. <laughs> like, I'm not sure what exactly I would do with that. I don't know. Mystique uses it for some political purposes that's pretty it's helpful. Super evil. <laughs> but, uh, I mean... Maybe it would just be nice if, like, you were in a party full of people who, like, they knew your name, but you didn't know their names, and then you just decide to shapeshift into somebody else, and now they don't know who you are, and you don't have to pretend that you know their names. That is the most, like, Marissa version (laughs) of a... (laughs) I'm so bad with names, you guys. I'm just constantly surrounded by people being like, hey, what's up, Marissa? And I'm like, hey, Hey, friendo. Sometimes I'm left whispering to random people like, who was that? Do you know who that was? See, what you need is a friend who will, like, introduce themselves. I did that for a friend recently. It's useful when you can get it, but... Yeah. Yeah. Not always the right sitch. No. Yeah, shapeshifting would be interesting. Invisibility might be pretty cool. I never thought of like a non-lecherous use for invisibility, <laughs> like a non-sinful use for invisibility. Like, yeah, you could like, like Violet does, you can kind of sneak to the freezer and get some ice cream. That was like, like my favorite. I really, um, 
identified with Violet <laughs> when she is having like a meltdown over, or I guess it's post meltdown and she's just sort of like trying to sulk by herself. And she comes downstairs and Bob is on the phone with Helen and Helen's like, Oh, how was the, you know, how was your time with the kids? And he's like, Oh, everybody's great. And meanwhile, Violet's in the background, <laughs> completely invisible except for her sweater and she goes into the freezer and she takes out the whole tub of ice cream and takes it back to her room with her. I was like, that's my girl. That <laughs> is my girl. I don't really want to be fast like Dash. I don't find that to be no <laughs> super useful. Could help you on your 5Ks, though. Oh, yeah. I could win all of them. That'd be <laughs> nice. I might get a medal. I really just want to fly. Honestly, doesn't everyone just want to fly? Isn't that sort of just the answer? Like, you want to fly. Everybody wants to fly. Every human dreams of flying. That's why we all have flight dreams. We make it... Superhero, Superman was the first superhero invented because we all just want to fly. I mean, think how convenient it would be to never have to get on I-95 again. You just fly. <laughs> or to never have to get on a commercial airline again. Yeah. Those sort of sardine cans full of farts. No, thank you. <laughs> I'm going to fly on my own power. It's going to be great. Well, listeners, if you have a power that you would want to have, you can let us know. Yeah. Before we go, just, you know, I would say thumbs up. Go see it. Oh, for sure. Especially if you have, you know, a family in your life that you would want to see this movie with. I would recommend seeing it with them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a it's a very, like, family feels movie, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. As was the first one. Until next time, stay flexible. We'll see you next time, ding-dongs. Bye.